So we are going to jump into our sermon today, the title of which is called Unquenchable Thirst. And there is going to be a quote up there that you are probably going to be a little bit tired of by the end of the day. Um, but hopefully you're going to have it committed to memory. And it's a quote by Khalil Gibran, and it goes, Is not dread of thirst when your well is full, the thirst that is unquenchable. So over the course of the past six months, I have, have begun to enjoy a salary that is significantly more than I've had the previous eight years. Now, please know this is not a pity party. I've had all my needs met throughout those eight years. Um, so this is really just more my journey of extra money that I've had the privilege to have. And, you know, in the past couple weeks, I was, Carl had kind of opened up like, hey, you know, Nikki, whatever you would like to, what God is laying on your heart, whatever you'd like to preach on. And I was uh, struck by the fact that in the past six months, while I've had this extra money, I have actually given less intentionally than I have the previous eight years of my life. Have I tithed? Yes. Has it been consistent? Has it been regular? Has it been generous? Can't say it has been. Now, I've also had some major life events that are upcoming in a couple weeks, other things in life that are upcoming, and so there's been a lot of planning. I could tell you that it's been a busy season, which would be an excuse for sure. But it did strike me as ironic that in a season where I have been given more money, I have not given more money. So essentially, I've been given more, but I have given less. Now, again, have I been working hard? Have I been enjoying the, the fruits of a master's degree? I have been. Have I been grateful for the place that I'm working, not only to, to have a work that I really appreciate and find a lot of meaning in, but also that I'm provided enough to live very comfortably? Yeah, I'm very grateful for that. Has that aspect of gratitude led me to wrestle and discern for new opportunities and ways I can give out of my surplus? It doesn't sound like it. And so this morning, we're not going to discuss the percentage that I should be giving away, although I'm sure you all have thoughts on that. I'm not going to discuss the percentage I think all of you should be giving away. What we're going to talk about more than anything else is our relationship to the money and to the possessions and to the property that we have. For the quote that I shared is not in fact about having a full well, but the yearning for more that does not cease. Is not dread of thirst when your well is full, the thirst that is un quenchable. Let me say a quick prayer for us. Father God, we are, we're so grateful to be here. God, I'm so grateful to be here, to have a, a body that continues to, to gather, Lord, that is just willing to, to meet regularly, Father, to, to seek after you, to read your word, and to pour over it, God. And we just pray that you'll meet us in this space. Father, you'll give us a curious spirit this morning, that we can mull over the ways that your word applies in our lives right now, not in the future, not in the past, but in this moment, God, in this season that we're in. Father, I pray for wisdom and guidance as we navigate and for humility. Lord, if there is anything that strikes a chord, let us pay attention to it. Lean into it, Father. We thank you for your love. In your name we pray, amen. So in the few years, I, I lived in South Sudan for a time. Um, I worked with Eastern Mennonite Missions as a nurse. But in that time, I was donor-funded. So for three years, I had raised a sum of money that I would need, and I lived off of that. And many of you know, because you provided the funds for me to be able to do that. So I literally lived off of other people's money. I come from a hard-working family. So you work hard. You get to play hard, too. But you work hard, right? 
earning your keep, getting to, to kind of put in a good day's work is important. And I will tell you that it was one of the more humbling aspects of my life when I was trying to figure out how do I get to give and use other people's money, not just mine. What does that look like? What are my needs when it's other people's money? What are my wants? Also, what does it look like when you're living in a third world country? What are your wants? What, are, what is excess at a time like that? And there was no escape from my awareness that I was in the haves. If you consider groups of people that have their basic needs met, I was in the group of haves, and I was living amongst a vast majority of people that were in the have-nots, not having most of their basic needs met in the day-to-day. And that was hard to swallow. But it was also a sermon for another day. Because truthfully, what I want you to gain from this today is that it felt, it felt kind of right that I had to struggle so much with how to spend that money. It felt like something made sense about how mindful I was in spending that money, how I viewed my wants and my needs, and there were clear differences between the two. How I recognized that money as a true gift. The fact that it wasn't mine because it wasn't. It had been gifted. And that I was blessed with it to care for the people around me. And that intensity, the way that I had to wrestle over how to spend that money, I'm so grateful for. Because it's true regardless of where I live, whether that's Lancaster County or Rumbeck, South Sudan. My money is not mine. And when I can sit in that humility, that what I have has genuinely been a blessing from God, I give in a much more generous spirit. My money is a gift and entrusted to me, given to me by God. But it's not just for me. Psalm 24 reminds us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And yet we live in a society that is saturated by excess material things, by excess monetary aspects. And our souls are spoiling in it. So in the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12, as Josh read for us, I'm going to review, and actually, I'm just going to read it again, because to be honest, there's no better thing to gain from this morning than a little bit of scripture. So it's going to be up on, yeah, thank you, Neil. So the parable of the rich fool, we're in Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Does anyone else get chills a little bit when they read that? Jesus does not mince his words in that passage. If we are saving up for only ourselves... I'm a mic struggle bus. If we are saving up for only ourselves, removing God from the discernment of where and how we spend our money, then it would seem that we too are fools. No amount of money will ever be enough. Regardless of the dollar amount, 
Bear with me real quick. I'm going to adjust this. There we go. We're back on target. No matter, no amount of money will ever be enough, regardless of the dollar amount in your bank account, a bigger barn, a new phone, a bigger house, a new car, retirement fund. It doesn't matter. It will never be enough. Is not dread of thirst when your well is full, the thirst that is unquenchable. The rich man had a barn. And rather than distribute or give away some of his excess from his harvest, he set out on a path to obtain an easy life, eating, drinking, and being merry. To me, that sounds a little bit like the American ideal. And for whom? In receiving much, he kept much for himself. So what is the posture in which I hold my money and my possessions? Do I see extra and I immediately plan for my next vacation, my new phone upgrade for this gorgeous new restaurant that I'm dying to try the entire menu? Or do I also consider ways that I can invest in the community around me and how to help and aid and give back to a marginalized community who finds themselves struggling to meet their basic needs? Do I even entertain the thought? Because the scripture passage, it doesn't say that the the rich man considered ways of being generous with his surplus, nor does it say he turned to prayer and asked for God's discernment. With my money and possessions, do I hold them as blessings, true blessings, blessings given to me to share with those around me rather than to hold tightly for myself? And I'll be honest with you, growing up in the church, I've also always had a very conflicted relationship with the word blessing. In college, I really struggled with that word. I'm going to tell you why, because I fear many times in Western Christianity, we have confused blessings from God as a stamp of approval or a badge of honor or as some, somehow that it was a reflection of how successful, how good, how holy I am. And I think we have misconstrued it as me-focused rather than as a charge to redistribute to those around me. Jesus repeatedly warns against the dangers of greed. And I think we've used our blessings as a mask at times for our underlying greed. And I am guilty of this. In Luke 12, he says, literally says, watch out. You only say that for something that you know has a, a genuine chance to risk and to compromise somebody. When there is a danger in the room, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Before I left overseas, my grandma Susie, who some of you know, she wanted to donate some money to me, which if you know her is no surprise. She's a very generous lady. Um, But the way it kind of works is you have like a set amount that you try and raise. And again, thanks to the generosity of many of you and the the church body here, I had reached my goal. And so she was all excited. She wanted to be able to give me some money. And I was like, Grandma, don't worry about it. I actually, I already reached my goal. She got a very stern look on her face. And she said, Nicole, it's not my money. It's God's. And you're going to do God's work. So just take it. (laughs) And I took the money. But I think there's something so incredible because she just automatically, she said it, right? Don't challenge me on this. This is God's money that he gave to me and I get to redistribute it in ways that I think are appropriate. What an example. She also has a phrase which I get to hear every time that I stop in to see her. And this was one that she got, she said, from her mom. 
which was, may you have enough for your needs, not for your wants. And I've thought about those statements quite a bit over the years. Now, let me tell you, I have many things that I want, as I'm sure many of you do as well, right? And on one level, that's okay. But the deeper parts of these bits of wisdom is to recenter ourselves on whose money we have. Where does that come from? Therefore, who should be involved in how we discern how to spend it, how to save it, where to give it? And also, can we regularly remind ourselves the true gift of having our basic needs met? And I mean our true basic needs. Because the deeper issue is contentment. When or how will I be content with what I have? When I have this amount in the bank account, when I have this car sitting in my driveway, when will I ever have enough? Is not dread of thirst when your well is full, the thirst that is unquenchable. Now, the rich man from this parable is described as using phrases like my crops, my grain, my goods, all singularly possessive. And I've been struck with this recently because my my nieces and my nephew, they're within the ages of three to nine. So they are in the developmentally appropriate my stage of life. Have you ever given a bunch of kids candy and asked them to share? No, mine, right? Closed fist. We're We're not sharing this with anybody. This is my ice cream cone, my bag of chips. And that's developmentally appropriate. That's where they're at. And yet so many times as I'm trying to encourage them, trying to convince them that sharing is, is a wonderful thing, that it's helpful, that it's good for you, I'm reminded how I, I honestly need this message from time to time. Very brief example of this is I work at a private practice. And uh, so when a client is leaving my office, sometimes I'll need them to, to sign a form. And so I have this little cup of pens that are beside me. And all of a sudden I realize that my, the pens were gone. Freudian slip, my pens. The pens were gone. And so they walked out and I made this joke and I was like, oh, somebody's stolen all my pens. And they were like, yeah, seriously. And as they walked out, right, they didn't think twice about it. I was like, those aren't even my pens. I work at a private practice. I've never brought a pen to work. I'm not that prepared, (laughs) right? We work in an office where other therapists come in and they get to use that office too. I literally have no ownership over that pen. And yet automatically my joke was, oh yeah, somebody stole my pens. And is it a big deal? No. But it's amazing to, me how, amazing to me how many of those small examples come so naturally out of my mouth, mine. And so as, children, or as adults that are nurturing children, right, or nurturing other adults, as they navigate the art of sharing, may we also be mindful how mine-focused our verbiage is. But if we go back to the text, if we further analyze this text in the parable of the rich man, we can also see that the fertile ground he used was the very earth that God had created. That fertile ground would have benefited from the rain and the sun that God provided. That farmer likely had an able body, the equipment that he needed for that crop to be successful. And so interesting, because this is, this is my situation. How often do we take full credit for things that are outside of our control? And yet, how often do we blame others for things that are outside of their control? And so what are some of the things that I get to benefit from, right? You're like, hey, Nikki, you know what? You seem like a pretty grateful person. What are some of the things that you overlook? And to be honest with you, I have parents that have been together and committed my entire life. I had a family that provided not just my basic needs, but 
opportunities, wanted me to be successful in school. I had role models, friends, parents that invested time and energy, a church body that nurtured me. I got to play sports. People were there to cheer me on. Not everybody has that opportunity. A healthy mind, a healthy body. Does that ebb and flow sometimes? Sure. But for the most part, right, to not take that for granted, that I can pick up and go for a run if I want to on legs that are working properly. Even friends who have stood by me, right? People in my life that continue to invest and to pour into me in different seasons. In the second scripture, the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, I'm going to read that in just a bit, but he is so quick to take pride in his accomplishments and his moral habits and so quick to pass judgment on those he deems sinners. Romans 3.23 reminds us that all have sinned and fall short. So basically, spoiler alert, that's all of us. If we want to talk about sinners, then we got to have the whole lot in there. That would be each and every one of us. And how often do we, do we end up judging somebody that we don't even know their story, right? I pass somebody on the street, maybe in a different state of mind, having a need that seems very kind of like in my face, and I almost immediately perhaps go to an assumption of laziness, they haven't worked hard enough, they weren't resourceful with what they had, didn't make good decisions, all things that I know nothing about for them. A person that I walk past one time and I suddenly am in this judgmental seat making assumptions about somebody I don't even know. And recently I've wondered what individuals think when they see me. As I sit in a car at a red light, try and make eye contact with them, sometimes giving, sometimes not. And I've tried to be more mindful of what God is asking me in the moment. Is there a bus ticket that I can provide for that individual? A meal? Am I willing to discern that rather than closing my eyes and pretending they're not there, right? Because if, if I can try and ignore that somebody has a need around me, I don't have to try and provide for it. I don't have to discern what that looks like. I get to stay in a perhaps more morally clean arena on the sideline. Shane Claiborne in his book, Irresistible Revolution, states, somehow God likes broken vessels, He said, I'm convinced that Jesus came not simply to make bad people good, but to bring dead people to life. We can be moral, but not alive. We have to be engaging with the needs and the people around us, even when it's hard. In Luke 18, Neil's ahead of the game. He already has it up there. Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. I'm going to read it again. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. I love the phrasing of that. Because to be honest, there I am, up on the board. To those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood up at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Two men went to the temple to pray. One stood up close to the temple and prayed about 
Or in some translations, it actually says that he prayed to himself, flaunting his morals and judging others. Not just others in a distance, the very man that he saw also at the temple. One stood back, kept his face to the ground, beat his breast, and asked for mercy. Two sinners, one in a posture of arrogance and pride, one in a posture of humility and repentance. Whose posture is more similar to mine? The Pharisee knew nothing of the struggles of the sinners he was calling out in prayer. The rich man was so focused on the good work he had done that he missed the humility of the good harvest he had been blessed with. The tax collector was focusing on his own sins. In Mother Teresa's book, No Greater Love, and actually Carl pointed out to me that I'm now of the age that there's a younger generation below me, and so not everybody may know who Mother Teresa is. So Carl, I appreciate that. That's the, that's the age that I am, I have to acknowledge. So Mother Teresa is a Catholic nun who founded the Order of the Missionaries of Charity, um, which serves the poor, the sick, and the, the dying. She was known to be an incredible humanitarian throughout the world, but primarily in India. And she wrote this in the first person. So a book of hers called No Greater Love. And she goes, not so long ago, a very wealthy Hindu lady came to see me. She sat down and told me, I would like to share in your work. In India, more and more people like her offering to help. I said, that is fine. The poor woman had a weakness, she confessed to me. She said, I love elegant saris. Now, saris are a woman's garment arranged, kind of worn as a robe, uh, primarily from the Indian subcontinent. So this lady said, I love expensive saris, the dress of them. Indeed, Mother Teresa said, she had on a very expensive sari that cost about 800 rupees, which in today's day and age would be about 10 U.S. dollars. And she said, mine cost eight rupees. So hers cost a hundred times more than Mother Teresa's sari would have. But then Mother Teresa said that she prayed and she asked for help to give an adequate answer to the question of how she could help this lady in, in the work that they were doing. And she said, it occurred to me to say to her, I would start with the saris. The next time you go to buy one, instead of paying 800 rupees, buy one for 500 and give the other 300 rupees away. The good woman now wears 100 rupee saris. And that is because I've asked her not to buy cheaper ones. She has confessed to me that this has changed her life. She now knows what it means to share. That woman assures me that she has received more than what she has given. So this woman's relationship to her money changed. And she didn't even have to stop wearing nice saris, right? She could have a sari and she could provide for those around her. And I love that aspect. Because sometimes it's not that we have to give it up completely. But what does it look like? to be able to scale back for myself and provide something that I love and enjoy for those around me. And it's, it's amazing because it shows the power of generosity and how mutually beneficial it is. This woman walked away saying, I know the gift of sharing. She knows it, not just in the exterior, but deeply knows the gift of sharing. Her excess was not kept for herself. It was redistributed for the benefit of those around her. And so friends, if you are like I am and you are in a season of extra, what a great time to be creative with how we give more. Several years ago, 
I've been back from overseas for four years. And, and upon returning, I had told myself that I would eat rice and beans once a week, which felt, you know, very exciting at the time. And then I was like, maybe we'll scale that back. Maybe once every other week. Because in South Sudan, usually once, if not twice a day, we would have rice and beans. And let me tell you, I was so grateful for that rice and beans. When you're living among people that do not have a meal every, a meal every, you know, one to two, sometimes two to three days, rice and beans consistently is incredible. And I wanted that as a practice because in that evening that I eat rice and beans, I can be both reflective of my time. I can be praying for the community that I lived with. And then let's say I take that $20, $30 that maybe I would have bought a pizza with or food to be able to cook something, and I get to redistribute that in a mindful way. And I'm so excited because it's taken me four years to finally start it. And I'm, I'm here. I'm in this season, right? And the time is now. Four years doesn't look great on my end of things. But I think that's, that's the gift of God's grace, right? His heart is that we get to start now. Because the truth is we, we need each other. And I'm, I'm a little bit on the camp sometimes that thinking the rich actually need the poor a whole lot more. Because the, the poor work have to, in some ways, off the premise that God is providing for them in the day-to-day. And that's genuinely not something that I have to wrestle with often. Because my fridge is full for the week, if not two. How much do I have to learn? And also how much to learn, not just about sharing from my excess, but sharing in general, Right? A very different situation. There was a young man that um, I worked with at the school that I worked in in South Sudan. And we were talking one time. And he had gotten his hands on this cake. Cake was not a big, I can't say something that, you know, we had a lot when I was there at the school. But somehow over the weekend, he had gotten a hold of this cake. And he was pumped. This is an elementary age kid. And he was like, yeah, you know, Sister Nikki. I'm not a sister, but when you work with other Catholic nuns, you just become a sister. So it's like, Sister Nikki, I had a cake this weekend. And I was like, no way, that's amazing. And I think it had come from one of the other sisters. They had, you know, had a, we had had a party on the compound and it got, again, redistributed. So this young man had his hands on this little cake, little elementary, probably seven or eight years old. And I was like, what did you do with it? And he didn't miss a beat. And he said, I called all my friends and I called my neighbors, everybody to come eat it. And I was like, this is a young man, for context, who has a meal provided on the weekends, one meal every two to three days. He is operating on a hungry stomach at all times, and he didn't miss a beat. You had a cake. What did you do with it? I called everybody I knew to share in this cake. And so when I tell you that I have stories like this of individuals who have impacted me on a way that I needed them far more than they needed me, I mean it with the utmost sincerity. Is not dread of thirst when your well is full, the thirst that is unquenchable. There's a Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote from one of his books, No Rusty Swords, and it says, possessions are not God's blessings and goodness, but the opportunities of service which he entrusts to us. Possessions are not God's blessing and goodness, but the opportunities of service which he entrusts to us. So what will be my posture moving forward in this season of extra money? How will I approach it? How will I hold it, give it, save it? 
Will I solely focus on my future, my past debt, investing in myself, my future? Or will I pause and discern what ways I can be innovative in giving? Will I humbly recall that this truly is my Father's world and all that is in it? And so I'm here to be a steward of that. A steward of his earth, of his people, and of his love. And so are you. And we cannot take that lightly. So friends, my prayer for you is that you wrestle with how you you spend or save or give your money. That is my prayer for you. That it really is this tug of war of what is God asking of me in this moment. When I'm so tempted to just save for that future. When I'm just so tempted to think of, hey, you know what? This something that I deserve, this something I want to treat myself to. What does that look like to take notice of it and consider others around you at the same time? And I pray that it causes you some discomfort because in that we are more likely to draw near to the heart of God and to bow before him, praying for his guidance and how we can live in such a materialistic and never enough world. May we be more aware of our biased judgment on others and more focused on how we spend our money rather than on how others spend theirs. And may we, like the tax collector, fall at the feet of Jesus and ask for mercy. For God is merciful, full of grace. He is abundant in love. And how incredible that we have the opportunity to partner with him in reshaping the posture in which we hold our money, our property, our possessions. For in that we may also, and I would say we will, in that we will also find the security that we have in God, right? The only one truthfully in control. I can have as many barns and houses and bank accounts that are stored up. And the truth is, it is here today and gone tomorrow. May we put our trust in the only one who has any sense of control moving forward. May we also approach our our money just with, with humility in the beauty of what we have been given. Humility like the tax collector, the willingness like the woman with the saris, and the generosity of Jesus. Is not dread of thirst when your well is full, the thirst that is unquenchable. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are we are here to be mindful this morning, God. Mindful of the ways that we fall short. Mindful of the ways that you pick us up. That you are so grace-filled, Lord. That in our faults, in our challenges, in our struggles, that you meet us there, God. You see us when we're four years behind in goals we have set for ourselves. You are there with us to remind us that we have opportunities moving forward. God, you're not a a once-and-done father. You continue to invest in us, Father. May we invest in those around us. God, flow through us. May we take stock when we are looking over our finances, when we are thinking of how to give. God, may our generosity come from the well of knowing that you fill us endlessly. God, it is uncertain times in a lot of ways. And may our trust and our hope and our security be found in you and you alone, knowing that truthfully, 
There is no other well other than your love that will ever fill and quench our thirst. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.